Welcome to the Movie Planet Season 4, Episode 7. This week, we're talking about Moneyball from 2011, nominated by Joel for the Sports Pantheon. With Joe. There are rich teams, and there are poor teams. Then there's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. JC. We are the last dog at the bowl. You see what happens to the runt of the litter? He dies. And Joel. Billy, his, his legs yeah. are gone. Billy. But, uh, he's a defensive liability, and I question whether the bat speed's still there. I am your host, Joel, and with me, as always, is the Billy Bean and Peter Brand to my Art Howe, the Carlos Pena and Jeremy Giambi to my Scott Hatterberg, JC, and Joe. Welcome back to the ballpark. Feels good to be back, actually. It was a fun one to rewatch, actually. SunTrust is a nice place. Ah, I've not been there yet. Although I would like to go to the Coliseum. Favorite baseball stadium you've ever been to? PNC Park. Hands down, the Pirates Ballpark is beautiful. Yeah. I've only been to Tiger Stadium in America Park, so. No, Fenway Park. So, so we're all homers. So, <laughs> <laughs> now this week, I personally have asked that we revisit Moneyball for the Pantheon of Sports Movies. For the Fenway faithful of our podcast listeners, you may know that this was one of the Movie Playground's first podcasts, but I wasn't here then, so it doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> so, this is our first movie that we're reviewing twice. Not thrice. Not thrice. Again, JC and Joe have reviewed this Moneyball movie in our eighth episode of the show way back in 2016. So maybe we'll be a little more strict on the grading this time. Uh, we're, we're looking at the sports movie pantheon, and it's comprised of seven and only seven films. Currently, we only have two. Their average, gra average grades are as such. Hoosiers with a perfect score of an A, which uh, that was another one that I wasn't here for. So this is my first sports movie we've watched. And number two of Moneyball, which is also at an A. Now, the higher grade that we give it, the longer it may be staying there. Only a film with a higher grade can kick it out on a stukus from the Pantheon in the future. So we will discuss the movie in an hour or so. We'll analyze it, grade it, and figure out if the movie grade will change it from its perfect score. Being a movie that was an early show, this time we might be a little more analytical, so we'll see what happens. And a reminder for all those at home, this is a spoiler-rich podcast, so if you have not seen Moneyball, it's best if you stop right here, watch the movie, and then turn back to us to enjoy the discussion and analysis and tell us if you agree. Or don't, because we don't care. Um, just kidding, yeah, we do. Um, not in this movie. Because uh, we're only right. now. Not left. <laughs> exactly. Southpaw. So now that we've handled the business, let's get to our movie of the week. This week, we are talking about 2011's Moneyball, a rated PG-13 movie directed by Bennett Miller, written by Stephen Zalion. And Aaron Sorkin. Did I get that right? Go with it. Why not? I don't care. He's not here. Uh, <laughs> and it's based on the book Moneyball, The Art of Winning an Unfair Game by Michael Lewis. Starring Brad Pitt as Billy Bean, Jonah Hill as Peter Brand, Philip Seymour Hoffman, the late great Philip Seymour Hoffman as Art Howe, Robin Wright as Sharon, which I didn't realize, Chris Pratt as Scott Hatterberg, Stephen Bishop as David Justice, Stephen Bishop, fun fact, uh, played baseball. That might be a fact you mentioned later. I apologize if it is. Brent Jennings as Ron Washington, uh, Karis Dorsey as Casey Bean, Billy's precocious daughter, not my words. Um, <laughs> I had written it before I assigned I it to you. <laughs> All right. So... Right now at this point in the show is where we turn it over to Joe to have him go over the making of the movie in his segment called Inception to Perception. Echo, echo, echo. <laughs> where he explains how this movie got off the ground in 10 minutes or less. Don't get on the set, get ready to shoot, and then ask for rewrites. Studios do this crap all the time, and they wonder why they end up with a shit movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Movie? You know, I hate the word movie. I don't make movies. I make films. All right. In 2003, Michael Lewis published his book Moneyball, The Art of Winning an Unfair Game. Shortly after, Stan Chervin wrote a screenplay after Columbia Pictures bought the rights to the book in 2004. In 2007, three years later, Brad Pitt committed to the project and Chevin decided to drop out of the project. Academy Award winning screenwriter Steve Zalian was hired to write a second screenplay and David Frankel was signed to direct the film. Shortly after, Steven Soderbergh was signed to replace David Frankel. 
for reasons unknown. Dimitri Martin was cast to play portray Paul De Podesta, uh, Bean's top assistant, former former athletic Scott. Former athletics Scott Hatterberg and David Justice were slated to play themselves in the movie. They were young enough. I am glad they did not get Dimitri Martin. Uh, when asked about how the film would dramatize and make entertaining a book about statistics, Soderbergh said, I think we have a way in making it visual and making funny. I want it to be really funny and entertaining, and I want you to not realize how much information is being thrown at you because you're having fun, where you found a couple of ideas on how to bust the form a bit in order to, for all that information to reach you in a way that's a little oblique. In June 2009, days before filming was set to begin, Sony put the picture on hold. <laughs> Soderbergh's plan for the film called for elements considered non-traditional for a sports movie, such as interviews with real-life players. Then it's a documentary, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Soderbergh was dismissed and ultimately replaced by Bennett Miller. Aaron Sorkin was tapped to write a third version of the screenplay. Now, Bennett Miller hires Ken Medlock, a former minor league baseball player and actor who plays scout Grady Fusen as a technical advisor. Medlock invited professional scout Artie Harris to lend Medlock credibility. Harris himself, a self-styled, quote, old-fashioned scout, subsequently auditioned for and obtained a role in the film as a scout who typically disregards sabermetrics. Baseball figures, including scout Phil, Phil Pote and baseball coaches and managers George Renault. Renault, is that it? Oh, okay, and Barry Moss were cast in supporting roles. And with Dimitri Martin no longer involved, it opened the door for Jonah Hill, who was cast to play De Podesta. However, feeling the character was becoming fictional, De Podesta requested his name not be used, but continued to assist the filmmakers. Hill's role was transformed into a composite character named Peter Brand. <sighs> and that is the making of the film. Huh. All right. I'm excited. As um, <clears throat> backwards as that was, I'm surprised it turned into a really good movie. <laughs> when you read that, I'm like, this should be a shit show. <laughs> it's amazing how these things come together. See, Alien 3. And it's also amazing that other films had similar uh, startings, and they did not turn out this well. No. What was the one that, like, we were, Green Lantern, we're like, wow. It's amazing it even made it to the theaters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but talking about Moneyball, do you guys remember the first time you saw it? Do you remember your initial feelings, your thoughts, your emotions? My hands. Uh, yeah, I, I heard about this movie on ESPN, and when it comes to sport movies, it's one of the five majors, NASCAR being the fifth. I think we're in NASCAR, NASCAR country, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, going down. It's so down. When it, if, it's the, if it's one of the five majors, I'll go see it. Uh, the problem was, after the movie, I really had nobody to talk to about it because nobody I knew went to see the film. I loved it, and that's coming from someone who hates baseball. <gasps> baseball always always makes the best movies because it's the best sport except for for the love of the game really you don't like for love of the game jc you're up (laughs) tune in next week for for the love of the game (laughs) i like that movie i know i really like for love of the game the only baseball movie i don't like i don't think i've ever seen it outside of dinner and a movie on tbs JC, what did you think about this the first time you saw it? I uh, watched it on HBO for the first time when we had it during a free promotion. It was one of the free times we had HBO. And uh, unfortunately, I caught it like not at the beginning. I came to find out I was about already two-thirds of the way. But it grabbed me. Like As soon as I started watching, I'm like, Aah! and I wanted to see when it was on again. So I recorded it when they were replaying it, watched it again, and I fell in love instantly. I'm pretty sure I like ordered the Blu-ray off. No, I didn't. We actually went to a local place, so uh, give us free stuff, uh, McKay's. And lower your prices while you're at it. <laughs> and uh, we dropped something off at McKay's, and I saw it there. Like It was one of the, like, in the news section, like, Moneyball. I'm like, hey, Blu-ray, give here. So I bought it right away. Sam, what did you think? Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I, I w- I'm actually interested to know Sam's opinion on Moneyball. Um, but mine, honestly, I don't remember the first time I saw it. <gasps> I, I have no idea. I cannot remember the first time I ever saw Moneyball. I want to say that I saw it in theaters, but I've played this movie on repeat so many times in like the background for like whether it's work days, whether I've been at home just grading papers. I cannot recall the first time I watched it. For are, shame. Are sports movies your go-to for background noise? Because you said Caddyshack once was also always on in the rotation. He also said The Hobbit. I, I honestly... You can I, miss The Hobbit. I don't, but I don't. Oh. Um, Especially Five Armies. That was a great movie. Really tied it Reverse. all together. <laughs> it, re- it really put it all together. Tune in for other shows. Um, I don't. I really don't know. Like, it's... I just always enjoyed having it on. I think it's, this one, I just love baseball. 
Um, and I'll kind of get to that later. Um, but let's move into the summaries. If you were to summarize this movie in 10 words or less, what would it be, Joe? Brad Pitt saves money, buys garbage, still loses big game. Spoiler alert. JC? <laughs> Pitt makes baseball GMs look cool and smart, yet dumb? Question mark. <laughs> that is 10 words. Um, he got it. <laughs> I had to take out Brad. <laughs> I had Brad in there Mine is uh, baseball GM swap studs for sabermetrics small ball. Now, I got a question for you. How come you just say, didn't just say general manager? It would have stayed under 10. And holy alliteration, Batman. Because I wanted the alliteration. Small. You got to shorten it. Yeah. Swap studs. Yours was, a, yours was a headline. Yes. For someone that was not good at English, nailed it. Um, with, so. a, with a hammer. Right. Over and over alliteration. So shall we move into the synopsis of the movie? Let's do it. I shall behave. Is that dirty enough for you? Nice. Guys, you're just talking. Talking la 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 like this is business as usual. It's not. We're trying to solve a problem here, Billy. Not like this. You're not. You're not even looking at the problem. We're very aware of the problem. I mean, okay, good. What's the problem? Look, Billy. We all understand what the problem is. We have to okay, replace... Okay, good. What's the problem? The problem is we have to replace three key players in our nope. lineup. What's the problem? Same as it's ever been. We've got to replace these guys with what we have existing. No. Nope. What's the problem, Barry? We need 38 home runs, 120 RBIs, and 47 doubles to replace. The problem we're trying to solve is that there are rich teams and there are poor teams. Then there's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. It's an unfair game. And now we've been gutted. Organ donors for the rich. Boston's taking our kidneys. Yankees taking our heart. And you guys are sitting around talking the same old good body nonsense like we're selling jeans. Like we're looking for Fabio. We got to think differently. We are the last dog at the bowl. You see what happens to the runt of the litter? He dies. Um, let me see if I can't make this font bigger for my old eyes. All right. Oakland Athletics general manager Billy Bean is upset by his team's loss to the New York Yankees in the 2001 postseason. With the impending departure of star players Johnny Damon, Jason Giambi, and Jason, Isring Jason Isringhausen to free agency, Bean attempts to devise a strategy to put together a competitive team for 2002 but struggles to overcome Oakland's limited player payroll. I really like when he meets with the owner, and the owner's just like, we don't have the money. And he's like, well, what are we doing here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah really. Isn't yeah. the goal to win? <laughs> and I, he just looks like the perfect country club manager wearing his, like, country club woven sweater and but he's also just very defeated and over it he's like what do you want us to do we're oakland we play on a football field as a lions fan i picture every coach we bring in going to the owner saying that to mr ford or mrs ford and that's the response is like listen we're gonna make money regardless don't worry about it ouch yeah well during a visit to the cleveland indians bean meets peter brand a young yale economics graduate with radical ideas on how to assess players value that is based on on-base percentage instead of flash and highlight footage bean tests brand's theory by asking whether he would have drafted him bean ha bean having been a major league player before becoming a general manager though scouts considered bean to be the next big thing his career in the major leagues was short-lived after some prodding, Bean over the, a brand over the phone admits that he actually wouldn't have drafted him in the ninth round until the ninth round, and that Bean probably would have gone to college instead. Sensing opportunity, Bean hires Brand as the Athletics General Manager, Assistant General Manager, and this is interesting because this happened to a friend of mine, um, who now plays for the Tigers in, over oh, in Detroit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was supposed to be like the he was the number one like high school pitcher out of uh, high school and he's supposed to go to Clemson. And since Clemson's such like a great school and the coaches there loved him and he enjoyed it there. Um, I, I got to go on a recruiting trip with him and all the co I mean, Jack Leggett, all those guys were great. Um, so everyone just assumed that that's where he was going to go. I mean, he was a guy that like Scott Boris, who they lightly uh, talk about in this film flew to Johnson city to talk to him. 
And everyone was like, okay, they hear Boris's name. They hear this or that. Like, we can't afford him. So he ended up dropping to, like, late, not late, um, like 19th pick or something of the second round. And so this is like, it's a thing called signability. They don't want to waste their first round draft picks on people that they're unsure if they'll actually come into the draft. The irony is he got drafted by the Blue Jays and the person that the Blue Jays picked second overall in the draft went to Vandy down the road and then Tyler Beatty. And then my friend, Daniel, who got drafted in the second round, signed right away and went to the <laughs> pros. So there, I mean... It's interesting seeing that go from seeing that firsthand. Scouts have no idea. And but I mean they have a they have a good idea and their idea is as good as anybody's, but it's such a gamble when it comes to baseball. I think it's a gamble everywhere though. I mean, you look at drafts, how many are complete misses? Right. Yeah. But how many come out of high school? That's the other that's the thing. They're probably th- more in baseball and hockey than any other right. sport. Right. Yeah. Um, so the team scouts are skeptical of the new ideas and the head scout is hostile towards brands, non-traditional sabermetric approach to scouting players. Uh, he's been in the field watching. He has been in the field watching players for years and that there are intangibles to assess outside of pure data. Now, let me say, I love the scene when they're at the table. Yeah. Every time he's at the table, the scouts, I love those scenes. I think that it's well-written, uh, I get involved in it. I don't know a lot about baseball, but I can watch that and totally understand it. Uh, but why are the scouts so buffoonish in the, what they say? I mean, well, he's got an ugly girlfriend, so he doesn't have confidence. Yeah, there, You can't be telling me that's how you're doing things as a scout. Here's the, James they, Franklin said it. Here's the, here's the thing. <clears throat> it is said, and I'm sure like people may say it in jest, but it's not the only data they come to the table with. Yeah. They'll... They'll throw out numbers and then jokingly they might say, oh, yeah, well, his girlfriend's ugly, so that means he doesn't have confidence. But it's not the only thing. that You're right. They do kind of make them – I mean, they make them – They're. I think the average age – He's got a good face. Yeah, I think the average age of the scouts in this is what, like 60? Yeah. <laughs> At the table? Yeah. It's uh, clearly all old guys and one thirty something sitting there. Right. Yeah. But in the cinematic, you know, painting the picture, they're saying this is – we are now – it is a new age game versus old tradition. Yeah. And so I guess the visual. The, Which is what Sabermetrics was. Right. Right. It was Sabermetrics versus the old ideas. And so, yeah. So benefit of the doubt guy, I guess that's, they're going for that imagery and part of it. Um, rather than relying on the scouts experience and intuition, brand selects players based almost on, almost exclusively on their on base percentage. Basically, this the basically saying that big hits are nice, but the data speak, speaks speaks for itself. If you get on base more, you have a better chance at making your way to home plate for runs. By finding players with a high on base percentage, but beco- but unbecoming characteristics that lead scouts to dismiss them, Brand assembles a team of undervalued players with far more potential than the A's hamstrung finances would otherwise allow. And why? Because they get on base. Oh, yeah. (laughs) When I point to you, that's what you have to say. (laughs) Guys, if you don't say it, I'm going to go to Pete again. (laughs) Because they get on base. So despite strong pushbacks from the scouts, understandably so, and every time I watch this movie, I'm like, yeah, if I were a scout, I would be pushing back too. Yeah, it's never been done before. Yeah. um, And there's still scouts out there that would say, you're crazy. Um Bean supports Brand's theory and hires the players he selected, such as unorthodox submarine pitcher Chad Bradford, whose knuckles almost scrape the ground when he throws or threw. Uh, Following the free agent signings, Bean finds that he also faces opposition from Art Howe, the athletics manager played by the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. With tensions already high between them because of a contract dispute, Howe disregards Bean and Brand's strategy, refuses to bench big-name first baseman Carlos Pena, and plays the team in a traditional style despite their unsuitability. Bean is eventually forced to trade away the lone traditional traditional star Pena to force Howe to use new the new recruits. Now, JC, I know you had an issue with Art Howe representation of this. You wanted to talk about that? I was going to say, and it's in my, my bottom three again, um... It turns out that when I did some research for the earlier podcast, Art Howe wasn't as negative as they make him seem like. They make Art Howe seem like an absolute asshole, and 
the the sad reality is is it's one of those he said she said i don't know you have art howe saying that he was mistreated and all this but why then does billy bean trade away carlos pena and all that which did happen in reality so i don't know and I watched this movie this time knowing that about what you said about Art Howe, because yeah. I trust you when it comes to baseball stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I watched it focusing on Art Howe's character, and I didn't get the same holish feeling. And I talked with Joel earlier about it. I got a feeling that Art Howe was that person in the middle who didn't know which way this was going to go, and so had to play it kind of standing back going, I'm not committing to anything here. I'm doing my job. Just keep me out of it. And in that way, from... Billy Bean's uh, perspective, it can seem like he's being a dick. But yeah. when it's all done from Billy Bean's perspective, I can see how audience members would be like, Art Howe is being a jerk right now. So how Art, how Art Howe worded it is he said, what the film does get right is it's unfortunate about Billy Bean's lack of regard for me and what it was that obvious. So th- that is one accurate thing for it. Yeah. Which could result in that kind of personality. I mean, yeah. You're being if somebody's if somebody above you is treating you with complete you know like you don't really matter, you're gonna act like a you know a, you know what in front of them all the time. Right. That's true. Yeah. <clears throat> and anywhere you go in sports, especially when it's big money going around in business, pride is going to play a massive factor, and so oh, yes. people are gonna stick up for themselves and they're gonna stand their ground. Um, back to the movie. Early in the season, the Athletics fare poorly, leading critics within. And outside the team to dismiss the new method as a dis- as a dismal failure, Bean convinces the owner to stay the course, and eventually the team's record begins to improve. Ultimately, the Athletics win an unprecedented twenty consecutive games, setting the American League record. Fun fact: This was beaten this past baseball season by the Cleveland Indians by twenty-two games, tying the MLB record. So they were really only off by two, with the old-timey uh, San Francisco Giants. Fun hitch in that record. There was a tie in the middle of it. So is it really undefeated? They weren't beaten, but they didn't win every game. Well, they they weren't defeated. They were not defeated. And the, and the record is undefeated. Un, no, that's what I'm saying. But it's oh. a fun fact. Baseball, all about stats. So their streak is capped with a victory over the Kansas City Royals, a very fun scene in the movie of high stress, even when you know how it's going to end. Like many baseball players, Bean is superstitious and avoids attending or even sometimes even following games as they're in progress. His family convinces him to go to the A's game against the Royals as Oakland is already leading 11-0 after the third inning. Which, for the non-baseball fans out there, that's a lot of runs. Oh, is it? <laughs> um, <laughs> that's <yes>. for me. <laughs> 11 to 0. 11 <laughs> runs is very tough. The average, 5, and that's a good scoring game. Um, so, it appears to set to continue on their winning streak. But, when Bean arrives, he gets there only to watch the team go to pieces and allow the Royals to even the score. Finally, the A's do clinch the victory with a walk-off home run. By one of Brand's picks, Scott Hatterberg. What? FBI. What? Uh, uh. What? Damn it! I already forgot. That's a ruined joke. From uh, Parks and Rec, his, yeah, his like, alter ego. Yeah. What's? Uh, I don't remember what it Chris was. Chris Pratt. Uh, I don't remember what it was. Mm, rats. Radisson. Um, <laughs> I have all no the, idea where you're going there. Despite their success, um, being wait, sorry. Despite all of their success, the A's lose in the first round of the postseason. This time to the Minnesota Twins. Bean is disappointed, but satisfied at having demonstrated the value of his and Brand's methods. In closing, the film notes that Bean passed up on the opportunity to become the general manager of the Boston Red Sox, despite an offer from of $12.5 million a year, uh, which would have made him the highest paid GM in baseball history. Also noted as Boston's World Series victory soon after in 2004 uh, was loosely based on the theories that Bean pioneered. Um, I think it also goes to say, after this movie was made, Theo Epstein went on to win a uh, World Series for the Chicago Cubs, so maybe it has a little bit to do with Theo Epstein. According to our good people at Rotten Tomatoes, it has a tomato meter rating of... You can't say good people at Rotten Tomatoes. I... Do as I'm told. Again, I wrote it before I signed it. <laughs> I proofread it. You can't. You can't. It's part of the script. It doesn't matter. They're not good people in Rotten Tomatoes. According to Rotten Tomatoes, it has a tomato meter reading of 94%. 
The critics, on average, give this film an 8 out of 10. The audience score, which is the average rating the audience gives the film, is a 4 out of 5, with 86% agreeing that it is a 3 or higher. But it is time to segment... Uh, now it's time for a segment that we call Did the Awards Get It Right? Does Theo Epstein use sabermetrics, though? Like, did, um, did Theo Epstein use sabermetrics to win in Boston and then use sabermetrics to win in Chicago? I, that's going to be a longer conversation than I'm going to need two rant cards for. <laughs> um, Burt Macklin, FBI. <laughs> Girlfriend Janet Snakehole. Um, so what you're saying is planning period on Monday? I mean, I'll, I'll give you the rundown right now. The Cubs aren't the lovable losers that everyone thinks that they are. They had an entire roster full of World Series champions. If you want to count the rings on the roster, you would need more than two hands. No, it was not a I mean, big... Let, let me help you out here. Now go. Oh, all right. So <laughs> this is going to upset Nickelback Sam because this is maybe the only argument we've ever gotten in to where we were both like, well, you're wrong, you're wrong, we're going to leave the room. Um, no. The entire media was all over the Cubs wang because it's the lovable Cubs. They've gone so long without losing. Yes, they also spent a ton of money on the roster, and it was overlooked that the Cleveland Indians were essentially the movie Major League. They had... <laughs> They had a manager that had been written off and was used as a scapegoat in Cleveland with a bunch of washed-up players like Mike Napoli that had been passed around from team to team, and Miller, which ended up winning the ALM, the ALCS MVP to take a team to the World Series. And they needed a rain delay and an inspiring speech to lose to the Cubs. And that was talking baseball. So, Hallelujah! Holy shit! <laughs> Where's the title? God bless Terry Francona. <laughs> now, did the awards get it right? All I have right, not seen literally any of the competing movies, so my opinion is invalid. But, Joe, what did you find out about the competition that it had? Well, Moneyball was nominated for six awards and won nothing. Uh, it was nominated for Best Picture. Uh, the artist won that year, a black and white silent film, which was a callback. Uh, and uh, it was, if, if I look at the list there, it's not a whole lot of, hey, we should rewatch this. Uh, the only movie up there that I can honestly see I've seen is The Help. Oh, I saw Hugo also. And The Tree of Life is just abstract as hell, and War Horse is a snooze fest. Uh, I didn't see Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. That's the 9-11 movie. Um, and The Descendants, that's George Clooney. I didn't see that. But the artist, that was going to get, it was pretentious enough to win an Academy Award. Best actor, Jean Dujardin. So you had a French guy win it because it's the artist, and the Academy loves the French. Uh, so Brad Pitt didn't win Best Actor for that. But honestly, I don't think he should have gotten it. What do you guys think? Is that a bet? Was maybe, he a best? Maybe Gary Oldman? Because I heard good things about Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy, but honestly, I've never heard of any of these movies. Yeah. Best Supporting Actor, Christopher Plummer was up for it. He won it. Why couldn't I Am Sam have won during this year? Seriously. It's <laughs> fair. Was that this year? No, it was like 10 oh, years. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I Am Sam, like, Sean Penn and I Am Sam would have run away with this. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Plummer won for Best Supporting Actor. Jonah Hill was up for that one. Uh, Best Adapted Screenplay, The Descendants won. That's the Clooney movie. Uh, Moneyball was up for that. Best Sound Mixing, Hugo won because they had to do with the first big film. Remember that film about the, the moon? It's an old black and white form. You see the moon, yeah, the yeah, rocket yeah, yeah, falls yeah. in the moon. I've never seen it. It's like 15 minutes, it's right? 17 minutes tops. Uh, that one, because it's all about that film and preserving film. So the Academy went, ooh, preserving film. Yes, we love it. And finally, best film editing. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo won, uh, and it beat Hugo and Moneyball. So it sounds like this movie was just never, ever going to win anything, especially when it comes to the Golden Globes. It's usually when this is when this movie would win. And instead, The Descendants took home four of the movies, or it won best motion picture, Descendants won. Best actor went to George Clooney. Best Supporting Actor went to Christopher Plummer again, and Best Screenplay went to Midnight in Paris. So Moneyball, although the movie kind of hits a 1,000 mo for most people, nice it reference. batted zero 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 at uh, the at the major awards show. What do you guys think? Do you think they got jobbed on any of these? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard to tell when you don't see the movies. I was going to say, when I haven't seen the other movies, no. I can't judge. Yeah. No. 
What's up? Um, and do I really want Jonah Hill to be able to say he has an Academy Award? Yes. I, yes. I, I kind of do just to validate uh, some of his pretentiousness. Doesn't Jonah? Ah, is Jonah Hill really pretentious? He's an asshole. Well, well, those are two different things. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone has one, and the other one cho people choose to be it. Yeah, it could well, be. that was a way of saying it. <laughs> could be. I don't know. But that's uh, it for the awards. Okay, so after watching it now, in the year 2018, in the distant future, uh, what did you think after watching it? It's still really solid. I, I wish the ending was more, quote, they won it all. But I get why you don't want to go too far with creative freedom in a movie based on a true story. So, JC, how about you? Already knew the history, so I just loved watching the journey again. It's kind of my Lord of the Rings of baseball. I know how it ends, but I just want to watch it. And uh, no, not all stories have to have an happy ending. It's still a great movie. Hold on. Can we get him to say that again? Not all stories have to have a happy ending. Can, they, just they, just, they just still have to be a great movie. So, just to be clear here... Whiplash is, is a horrible movie. No, it's not. Whiplash said, is a horrible movie. Oh, God. Okay, Joel. <laughs> Actually, to be fair, though, I, I'm a hypocrite because this movie does have a happy ending. He stays with his family, so that's happy. Okay. Who does? Billy Bean. <laughs> his. Did he stay with his family? His daughter. Yeah, his daughter. His wife got scooped up by a hippy dippy. Um, <laughs> the way I feel, the movie states at best at the very beginning when they say, how can you not be romantic about baseball? I, this is like that quote. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Did you just give me goosebumps? I just, no, I don't. I just, I don't, I don't know how many more times I can like communicate to a podcast. That pause was because JC was petting my arm. Do we need to put you, like, I need to be in between you two, I think. <laughs> Because, no, then we're looking at each other the whole time because the two podcasts where this has happened are going to be totally spaced apart. So the listeners right now are very confused. Um, but um, on to our next segment yes, called Top 3, Bottom 3. This is where we pick our top three things that we love or scenes that we like in this movie. And then we choose three things that we dislike about the film or things that we find the weakest. Let's start with the top three. Yosef. Oh, what are your so good. top three things that you want to highlight in this movie? Uh, my number three, Billy versus the Scouts. I do enjoy watching the banter. I enjoy the, what are we talking about? What is the problem? I love that entire repartee. I like it when Peter Brand joins them, and he just keeps pointing at him saying the same thing. Uh, guys get on base. Uh my number two is when Billy Bean goes in the locker room to show the players what losing really sounds like. I know it didn't actually happen, but... As a coach, that's what losing is supposed to sound like. Deafening. You can't hear a thing. And my number one, uh, when Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill are making the trades at the trade deadline. It might be my favorite scene in the entire movie. Them sitting there going, I really want Rincon. I really want Rincon. And they do the entire thing going back and forth with all, all the play, all the uh, I'll be able to try to get them. I thought that was a really cool shot right there. And the, the only movie I can think of that does a very good job of doing the exact same uh, manager to manager uh, going back and forth is Draft Day with Kevin Costner. I like Draft Day. I think that's a good movie. The wife makes fun of me because I watch that anytime I see it on TV. Yeah. Uh, JC, what are your top three? Any scene with Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill. I love it when he first meets him. I love it when he's with the scouts. I love the scene you just described. I love all those scenes because he's constantly like educating, and I almost feel like I'm being educated as as. Uh, Jonah Hill's being educated. Um, Billy learning from his daughter how to do his job. If you notice when he's really down or when he really doesn't know if what he's doing is right, they'll do a scene with his daughter when she's playing her song or when she's asking whether or not he's okay. And it's kind of nice to know that like sometimes these big decisions and whether or not we're doing the right thing just boils down to, do you trust me? And like the daughter saying like, do what you have to do, Dad. Like you trust yourself, and like sometimes we need to hear that. And I just I think that whole dynamic and how Brad Pitt and the and the daughter actor play it, it went really well. But then my favorite thing are the scenes with the scouts and the one on ones with the players because I like it when characters I care about are right. And Billy <laughs> Billy Bean proved he was right using logic. Hmm, who here likes logic at this table? And I, <laughs> and he uses logic to prove that the, to prove to the players that he's right. And so I just love that. I love it when you can pretty much shut up an argument by like logic, and that's what he does in all of those scenes. 
Yeah, my number three is, and it surprised me to put this as his number as my number three, but his daughter's song. And Joe made a really good point before the movie. It's like this song came out after 2002 when this movie is to take place. Six years after. Six years after. Um, but uh-huh. when we <laughs> when we look at the movie, like I like this because it reminds you that Billy Bean is a father, and that like what JC was just saying, his decisions impact more than just a baseball team. And it really grounds you as Billy Bean being a human. And that's what I liked about the addition to that in the movie. Um, my number two, which might be one of my favorites, honestly. Uh, Billy talking about Giambi and Damon with the scouts. He says, if, is there another Giambi in the league? And they say no. He's like, and if there was, could we afford them? And he says, then what the fuck are we talking about, man? In my first year teaching, I don't know how many times I played that scene in my head where I was talking to like either a colleague or a student where I was like wanting to get something done. And there was like feedback. I was like, so what, what are we trying to do? (laughs) I was waiting for you to drop it. (laughs) Then what are we talking about? Like the, what, like, why are we sitting here talking about it? Let's, let's do something. Yeah. Um, my favorite quote of the movie, um, said by actors, but my number one is the, like the very first thing you see in the entire movie, and it's the opening Mickey Mantle quote saying it's unbelievable how much you don't know about the game you've been playing all your life. And I saw a website that was saying they took Mickey Mantle's thing out of context, thinking that we're trying to use this. They're trying to use this quote to persuade you into thinking that sabermetrics is the answer. That's not what this quote's trying to do. In talking to friends that have played the game, whether it's college or professional, or whether they coach the game, everyone loves this quote because. This is the game that people probably have played the longest if they're still playing it because you can play it from the time you're young and like in America, soccer hasn't fully caught on to where a lot of people play it for a long time. And no matter how long you play, you're still learning new things. When I started working for a team when I was in college, I did not realize that there was like an entire underground game to the sport as far as, you know, whether like you're delivering signs or reading signs from another team. Sign reading is not cheating. It is just something that you're like, hey, if you're doing it, sneak it, you know? Yeah. And there's an entire there's an entire world underneath the game of baseball that the that we don't understand that they don't even touch on during this movie. If you aren't cheating, you aren't trying. <laughs> I love the Mickey Mantle quote because it makes me think of a quote from Pistol Pete Maravich's dad, and I forget his dad's name, but Pistol Pete's dad was a college coach, and he did an example of a ball, and he drew a circle on the ball with a marker, and he said, this circle represents how much I know about the game of basketball. And it wasn't a very big circle, so the ball, really big. This circle he draws, not very big. He says to his players, he makes a dot with the with the end of his uh, pen, just this tiny little dot. He's like, that's what you know about the game of basketball. He's like, the rest of the ball, that's everything we haven't yet learned or discovered about the game of basketball. And that's what the Mickey Mantle quote makes me think of. It's like, coaches know a lot. These people that do it all their lives know a lot. We play it. We know a lot. And yet there is still so much we don't know about the game. Yeah, that's... It's tr- like it truly is fascinating. Like the way that I watch the game totally changed just for working for a college team for two years. Like if you even like going back to the like if you're not if you ain't cheating you ain't trying. Yeah. The only time it's ever considered cheating and you hear players make a fuss about it is if the person at second base is reading the signs of the catcher. The entire time, if you've ever noticed, pitching coaches sit behind the stairs um, at the very front of a dugout. Because it's out of the view of the batter and the entire other dugout. That is because each dugout usually has a row of guys that's looking into the other dugout trying to pick signs. And it's fascinating. And it's not just teams I've been around. I've sat behind dugouts, and I know that other people have done it. And that's like one small part and even the strategy behind why you do certain situations. In the movie, they're talking about we don't bunt. A lot of people, like, they live on bunting because it's small ball, but – you don't think of bunning being a big part of the game until they say in this movie, it's like, no, that is giving up outs. We cannot sacrifice outs. It doesn't matter if it's getting on base. He says, I'm not paying you to, he's like, I'm paying you to get to first, not to get thrown out at second. And so everyone's got their own strategy. Um, 
And a total honorable mention is how Bean uses uh, the water and coffee cups as spitters. <laughs> so I was 200% influenced by that. <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts cups are the best. Um, but let's move on to the bottom three. Uh, if you want to vent, go ahead. Joe? Okay. Uh, my number three is I feel that Brad Pitt didn't really play another character. He played Brad Pitt. And I never got out of seeing Brad Pitt as this character. And then when I watch interviews of Billy Bean, I realize he's not playing Billy Bean at all. That's not Billy Bean. That's not how he was. That's not how he spoke. It's not. It, he was a different person. So that's Good my number point. three. Uh, my number two is the owner of the A's doesn't seem concerned with winning at the beginning. And it reminds me of the Detroit Lions, and it's freaking maddening. <laughs> <laughs> and my number one, I know nothing about baseball beyond the basics. But even I feel more qualified than the scouts at the beginning of the film. I get they have to make them seem out of touch to the layman, but at least make them somewhat credible. Uh, and honorable mention, I hate the song that the kid wrote. So, okay, JC, you're up. Could you? <laughs> um, although I, I like the twist that we we put on it, uh, I still didn't like art house treatment. I mean, again, I can't tell if it's the way Philip Seymour. Hoffman plays him or the fact that maybe you're right if you're ignored you're going to be an asshole to your boss so I, I don't know but that that whole it, it feels out of nowhere and I think it feels out of nowhere because there's a scene he's like you know how it feels to have a one-year contract I'm like so why didn't like it's never addressed yeah like as an audience member you never know why won't he give him more than a one-year contract is it money? Tell us. Like, I feel like that is an issue that's just totally unresolved, and it's just weird to me. I get the feeling it's a money thing. In this context of the movie, it's a money yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. they're talking about money right before that and how he can't get any more. Yeah. So. Uh, I feel like it would have been – I feel like it would not have been that hard of a struggle to learn first base for a professional. Like, I mean, these are professional ball players. They have been throwing. They have been doing everything. And even the little bit I played um, up – to college. I didn't play in college, but I played through high school and all that. Like I played different positions, just sort of messing around and all this. And for a professional baseball player to be like, I can't do first base. I'm like, really? Really? Like that just, that seemed a bit, I call yeah. bullshit. That was before Chris Pratt got his confidence. Is that what it was? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, number one, I still to this day don't understand why he doesn't go to Boston. I just don't. Uh, unless it's family, like staying close to his daughter, if that's the case, then I get it. And you want to be close to your daughter. But just, and maybe that's a reality thing. That's not a movie thing, but it's just like 12.5 million. You literally, the whole, when you look at it from a movie standpoint, because real life, we don't know what was going on in real life. But just from a movie standpoint, your whole thing has been, I'm bitching about not enough money. Why? <laughs> I think it's not like Oakland's been loyal to you. It's not like true. Oakland's really helped you with anything. I just I don't get it. And as a person that has followed the Red Sox for a long time, they play the A's a lot. For being on the opposite side of the country, they always end up playing each other for several series during a year. So he's going to see his daughter. Now, I don't have a kid, so I would like to see them probably more than four weekends out of the year. I think when you look at his personality, he's one of those people that he doesn't feel the job is finished until he's at that final win. Right, maybe. And I think if he had won that game, he would have gone to Boston. What's I for a new challenge? And, and to to sort of emphasize Joe's point, he's still it's 2018. Yeah, he is still the GM of the Oakland Athletics. Still chasing. And we get to see all of his farm boys come through the Nashville Sounds. <laughs> my my bottom three. I don't love how they made the scouts look like dinosaurs. I've been around a lot of scouts. You don't like Triceratops? I love I, Triceratops. Now, had the had I said I don't love how dinosaurs look like scouts, that would be a different story. That would be like a T-Rex wearing a visor. Uh, I'm a T-Rex. Yes, I'm a T-Rex. I'm roaring around the you forest. You walked into this, okay? Tyrannosaurus Rex. Nope, I'm walking past T-Rex. I don't think so. I'm a Tyrannosaurus. I'm the biggest Watch carnivore. This, <laughs> Stop around. And it's the biggest thing in town. I'm roaring around the forest. Tyrannosaurus Rex. Roar. This is not the first time you've done that in front of me. I knew it. I'm surrounded by assholes. <laughs> that was for my son when he's old enough to actually listen to this podcast. <laughs> What's that? What is that from again? Uh, dinosaur, train. dinosaur Train. 
That's true. even I know. And, it. I don't have a and kid. My, and my son used to. He doesn't anymore because he's sort of grown past dinosaur train. Thank God. But he would actually make. Yeah, me, it sounds like you yeah, really. Got over it. <laughs> <laughs> but he would make he would make me sing that song to him before he go to bed. I love that. <laughs> um, so rewind. <laughs> so back to your bottom three. <laughs> I don't love how they make the scouts look like dinosaurs. I've been around a lot of scouts, um, especially, you know, working for it, sitting behind the plate. That's where they're always, and you, they love to talk. They love to, you know, say, even, scouts love to talk just like they do in this movie. They love to say, they love to sound like they think like they know what they're talking about, even though it's a game that's unpredictable. But they're rarely over 60 years old. I mean, you might get them like in their mid 40s, but all of them are like, they love talking about their kids that are in high school. They're not talking about their kids that have kids in high school. This table looked like Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner's round table. <laughs> and that is a movie I would watch. That would be fun to watch. That would be funny. Now, my number two, I don't like the scene where he gives the random kid the head scouting position when he's mad. He's like, oh, hey, have you ever played baseball? He's like, I play T-ball. First off, not a response you would make to the general manager. <laughs> you would say, excuse me, sir. And that is where it would end. You wouldn't say, I played a little T-ball because you sound like a moron if you respond <laughs> with a little bit of T-ball. I feel like that is the most unbelievable scene in the whole movie. And my number one, they do not mention in this movie about, they do not mention the bullpen and how electric the bullpen was. They can discuss Chad Bradford all they want, but Chad Bradford was a reliever. He wasn't even a closer. Their starters had, they had Tim Hudson, Barry Zito, and Mark Mulder. All they had less than 10 losses and more than 15 or 20 wins. Their ERAs were 275, 280, 298, and 347. Each one had over 150 strikeouts. They had an average of over two and a half strikeouts for every walk that they let. And if you're going to talk about how you don't want to get guys on base or how you want to get your guys on base, and that's the entire movie. Mm -hmm. It's about getting guys on base. Maybe throw in a scene where you're talking about how you've invested cash into a bullpen and that you're making moves where you're keeping the other team off of first. That would have been a great addition to the movie. Say, hey, we need you all to walk get hit by the pitch, whatever it takes you to get on first. But just know that we are investing in a bullpen that is investing in strikeouts, and we are not walking anybody. The closer that they don't even mention, oh, by the way, um, Chad Bradford is the pitcher they talk about. He only had two saves on the entire season. Now, he was a valuable player, don't get me wrong. He was great for someone that they got out of nowhere. But the closer they don't even talk about, his name is Billy Coach. Koch? Koch. Coke. Billy Cock. Koch. Koch. What's it, Koch? Oh, Billy Koch. Koch. Because I had to look it up last night. Billy Koch, or maybe it's Koch, I don't know. He had 44 saves on the season, and he only blew six saves in the entire year. Never talked about once in the movie. So maybe talk about how sabermetrics was good for the offense and for the yes, defense. they don't talk about defense at all. Yeah. Um, and so what I have to get to, and when we go, well, we'll get to it later. All right. Um, we're going to skip on over my honorable mention. And so who is the audience for this movie, Joe? Uh, sports fans who want to data mine their teams. Only if they have a pitchfork. <laughs> Saw that coming. <laughs> JC, what good, do you think? Good grief. Anyone but geared towards baseball fans? Um, and mine is, I think a lot of people can enjoy this movie, but if we're talking about the pure audience, it's baseball fans. Baseball fans are going to love this movie. All right. So, Do you want to do your honorable mention now before we do our grades? I think it's uh, it's going to be part of my grade. So okay. I'll go ahead and say it. Um, well, you wanna, you're, you're closing it, so... You're the last one. You're yeah. the final word. Yeah. I'm, I'll talk about it in my grade. Okay. Okay. Um, the movie report card, A being superior, B being above average, C being average, D being below average, F being a f total failure. Get it? <laughs> in the sports. I, I don't. Can you explain it to me again? We will talk after class. <laughs> in the sports feature film genre, give us a grade and some comments that defend your grade. You are grading it as a sports movie. Joseph Go. First off, let me start with this. This movie is not a documentary. Therefore, it should be watched with our baseball fan hats off. 
Otherwise, the inaccuracies historically will make you go absolutely bananas. I will not be holding this movie to those standards. I think Hoosiers is a great movie. I think Miracle is a great movie. And I think this is a great movie. Now, there's a certain level of leeway you have to give movies that are, quote, based on true stories. Dialogue may not be accurate because what happens behind closed doors isn't always public knowledge. Events are condensed into smaller fragments of time in order to keep flow in the movie going. Factually, though, it should stay firm to what is easily looked up on a website like Wikipedia. Did this happen? Yes, but the behind the scenes are less overt. The interpretation of those moments or those moments are the movie we are watching. And I've got a hot take here, and that's I'm convinced that more people enjoyed this movie than actually enjoy baseball. Which means it transcends the sport movie Pantheon. But it does have its issues. This movie used real clips juxtaposed with the characters, which is something you rarely see in any historical retelling. This gives you a sense of this really happened exactly as I'm seeing it. It's an amazing sell job, which is ultimately what you are doing when you base a movie on a true story that is so recent, people can still up the footage on YouTube for proof. Writing-wise, it was a brilliant job getting a book about stats into something that everyone who watches can understand. Every character is well thought out, except maybe the daughter, way too worldly for a kid her age, and that song didn't come out until six years later. This movie is ultimately about taking risk when you see the future, but the world is stuck in the past. By pairing Billy Bean and Peter Brand, a fictional composite based loosely on Paul de Podesta, we have two underdogs to root for, and everyone loves to root on an underdog. Hell, think of a sports movie that didn't feature an underdog. It's impossible because that's the best sports can tell. Major League Two. Uh, and, which isn't a better movie. <laughs> I do like Major League Two. Uh, this underdog story is another solidly written one. Is the acting great? It's good enough. But I wasn't thinking Academy Award for anyone here, and I was kind of surprised for the Best Actor and Supporting Actor nominations. Intangibly, this movie does something that most sports movies don't have the guts to do. It ends on a perceivably down note, yet the impact of the down note affects everyone around the protagonist in a positive way. Yeah, the A's don't win, but using Bean and Brand's style of baseball... The Sox do win. As amazing as the movie is at getting audiences involved in the business behind the bats and balls, it still falls short in one aspect. A great underdog story leaves you with that lump in your throat before the final success and a sign of relief and maybe a tear in your eye after the success has been achieved. Hoosiers and Miracle do that. Moneyball falls just a little short there. So I'm going to have to give this an A-. minus. JC? So when I do my bottom three, I have these three things that I don't really like about it. And yeah, when I stand by them, I don't. But they're kind of nitpicky. As far as a film and do I enjoy watching it, I'm not thinking about those three things when I watch the film. I'm thinking about what I really like about it. Now, the Art Howe thing has bugged me a couple times, and I've learned more today. So maybe that's enough to drop it down to... And a minus, but then I could go into Scott Hatterberg's not exactly accurate, and then we're going into the whole historical inaccuracies thing. And the bottom line is, it's a good movie. I enjoy watching it, and it's a movie that if it's on, I want to watch it, or I grab the D- my Blu-ray and instantly put it in. It is seven years past the movie coming out. It's sixteen years past the actual event, and it's still good. It's still right up there. So it is an A for me. It's an A all around. My the thing that I enjoy about this movie, um, and I, I honestly I do agree uh, with Joe when he's saying like the thing that it gets wrong is that it doesn't have the great underdog story, and so I. That's honestly like my favorite part about it. I think that the sports movie genre needs something that goes past the game itself. Because I do, I love sports movies. Uh, I've never seen Hoosiers, but I love Gene Hackman and the Replacements. Um, and so, I it, this is a conversation for a, a longer day. It's 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 just a, it's a yellow tint. It's something about Indiana. I'm not sure. Just keep going, buddy. I love Notre Dame. I've never seen Rudy. Um, go Irish, Lou Holtz. So, anyways, I think sports movies are fine. But the thing that gets old about sports movies is that it's kind of the same thing the whole every time. You have a team that shouldn't win, and then they work really hard, and then they do win. Or they come super close, bad news bears. Um, and Major League. Major League. The Ricky, bears, the bears, Ricky the bears, Bobby. All of them, they have very similar 
flows. And what I love about Moneyball is they remind us that sports isn't just the effort that you give. There is a game within the game. And this is a movie about the sport that nobody knows about. And it is managing statistics, moving players around. And it's something that we really don't talk about outside of when EA Sports decided to release a game called Head Coach, where you don't actually play the football game, but you do have to sign players. It's in the game. <laughs> so I actually bought that game. <laughs> I bought that game and you played bought it, it a because lot. Bill Cowher's chin was on the front of it. <laughs> it's also absolutely true. Yeah. Ben, I don't know. It's We can get to the inaccuracies, and watching this, I kind of like my heart breaks when I go and read all of the articles but you know what no player really hates this movie it's you know David Justice laughing and saying yeah I mean it's Hollywood that scene with the vending machines that never happened or they're laughing things off but they say we get it it's Hollywood be I don't remember any Billy being inspirational speeches but if that would be grading it on it as a documentary or even as a historical film um, I think this movie holds up even if we were to put it in the drama pantheon. Um, but if I'm looking right at the sports movies, I think that it nails the sports movie and what we're looking for. JC's giggling either because he flipped the Velcro or because I said it nails sports. Um, <laughs> there he goes again. He's, okay. He's laughing at both of them. Um, he parlayed that. I did, yeah. <laughs> but I think that this did something very sneaky, and it talked about the game within the game. And that is impressive when it comes to sports movies. I give it an A. So, revisiting our list of movies in the Pantheon, where does Moneyball stack up? Hoosiers at a perfect A. Again, a movie I was not here for, but it doesn't matter. I've never seen it. Um, and I don't know much about basketball plays. Uh, I will watch it, though. And number two, Moneyball with a shade of an A-. minus. It's as close to an A as you can get. Yeah, with uh, 11.6 repeating. <laughs> so, now we go into the fan rating. We're going to take our critics' hats off. hats off. Do you love the movie? like the movie, or none of the above, Yosef. Love it. Great sports movie about something I kind of remember. JC? None of us took our hats off. I'm bald. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I also love it. I think it's in the pantheon of background movies while grading or cooking with anything uh, <laughs> Middle Earth and Caddyshack. Those are the movies you can play it on repeat whenever. So whenever we want to... So it's not good enough to actually pay attention to? It's only good enough to just have in the background? It is good enough to where you can watch it no matter what you're doing. Well, that's all we've got time for today, Movie Planeteers. Next show, we will be looking at 2011's The Cabin in the Woods. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean and give us a four or five star review. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, and follow our Insta. The opinions expressed on the Movie Planet podcast are those of the individual hosts. The Movie Planet podcast is not affiliated with, prepared for, approved, or licensed by any entity that created any films discussed or reviewed herein. All movie clips and music included in the podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and happy movie watching! <laughs>